Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I take the title of my sermon today from the writing of one of my favorite theologians, someone this congregation knows I quote a lot, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The title of the sermon is, No Situation is Untransfigurable. The story of the Transfiguration for many years was my least or one of my least favorite stories in the Gospels. It's a bit strange. Jesus climbs up a mountain. His appearance changes. Why? Matthew tells us his face shone like the sun. I once heard Mark's version while visiting an Episcopal church that shall remain nameless. I will tell you that this church is in the colonial style, and it's very white. The pews are white, the walls are white, the pulpit is white, the robes, even the gloves the acolytes wear to carry the cross and the torches, the linens on the altar all bright, dazzling white. Even the parishioners were all... you get the idea. (laughs) So Mark's version of the Transfiguration includes a particular line that's not in Luke that we read today or in Matthew. This is the line, Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. I thought whoever wrote that scripture never set foot in this particular Episcopal church. (laughs) They had never met this altar guild. I often poke fun at scripture that I have a difficult time understanding. And in this case, Luke has his disciples in a similar place. They walk away from the mountaintop, unable to speak of the experience. Maybe for you, like for me, over much of my life, this story just didn't connect. Maybe you have strong hesitations about Jesus' face glowing white, being a sign of God's blessing. Many in this congregation have been judged for the pigmentation of their skin. And some of that judgment has come from those who share their racial and ethnic backgrounds. I'm going to try to avoid the light and dark metaphors in this story because they can be problematic in our discussions of race and of skin color. Still, I think this story can bring us good news. The transfiguration, like much of the Bible, comes with baggage. For a long time, this meant I didn't hear the good news in this strange story. But there is good news. In order to hear it, We have to acknowledge the baggage. We've got to organize the issues of the Bible and then continue to listen for the Word of God, capital W, written among the words of the Bible, lowercase w. In this sermon, I hope to share the good news I've found in this funny story. To do that, it helps to know the setting. In Luke's Gospel, the story of the Transfiguration comes almost immediately after Peter's confession that he knows Jesus' true identity. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked, and, Jesus, and Peter responds, the Messiah of God. Jesus immediately orders the disciples not to tell anyone. Fast forward past the mountain. As they're making their way down the hill, Jesus foretells his death. 
He wants his disciples to understand. We're told that the disciples are sort of upset by sleep up there on the mountain. They're confused about what they're supposed to do. God's voice booms from the cloud. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. But the disciples, being the disciples, don't quite get the message. As they're making their way down, Jesus foretells his death. Listen to his words. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. The glorious reign they imagine for Jesus won't come to pass. Jesus tries to get them to hear. The disciples are busy arguing over who's going to serve as Secretary of State and Secretary of the Interior when Jesus rules. They're trying to build homes for Moses and Elijah. You don't get it. The disciples do not want to hear that Jesus is going to die. Today, we also avoid language about death and dying. We don't even print the word in obituaries anymore. Have you noticed? Obituaries talk about how people have passed away. I really dislike that euphemism. I don't like very many euphemisms about death. I find passed away to be incredibly imprecise language. Why don't we just say she died? I think we try to avoid suffering. Somehow we think this avoidance will spare us the pain. I told you this is a sermon about good news. But in order to really hear the good news, I believe we have to stop avoiding. We have to face mortality. Modern medicine can prolong life. At times, our treatments can even guarantee a high quality of life for those facing dreadful disease. But the miracle of medicine has not yet undone the human condition. As our prayer book reminds us, all of us go down to the dust. Yet, yet, the prayer book continues. Even at the grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The transfiguration belongs to this mysterious teaching of Christianity. Even at the grave, we sing Alleluia. Even in the deepest loss, we know God's action can dazzle us. The setting matters to this story. The mountaintop is not the height of Christ's glory, but the revelation of mysterious truth before suffering. In some way, the disciples are unable to name or articulate. The transfiguration is an assurance, an assurance of the depth, beauty, and power of God's love, an assurance they will need for the painful road ahead. The beauty they see on that mountaintop will sustain their hope. As I told you at the get-go, I take the title of this sermon from the words of Desmond Tutu. Tutu's ministry is hard to imagine for many of us living as we do in 21st century America. The bishop preached and organized to bring hope to those suffering under the most complete racist legal framework since the antebellum South. 
His friend, Nelson Mandela, spent 18 years imprisoned in a tiny cell on Robben Island. Hope was hard work in apartheid South Africa. And Tutu writes, of course, there were times when you had to whistle in the dark to keep your morale up. And you wanted to whisper in God's ear, God, we know you are in charge, but can't you make it a little more obvious? He writes about a time that God did make it more obvious to him. He and some of his colleagues were meeting with the Prime Minister of South Africa at a closed seminary, a seminary that had been closed by racist policies. And the meetings were frustrating, and so Tutu took a break in the seminary garden. He writes this, As I sat quietly in that garden, I realized the power of transfiguration, of God's transformation on our world. The power of transfiguration is at work when something so unlikely as the brown grass that covers our veld in winter becomes bright green again. The principle of transfiguration says nothing, no one and no situation is untransfigurable. That the whole creation, nature, waits expectantly for its transfiguration when it will be released from its bondage and share in the glorious liberty of the children of God. For Desmond Tutu, Christians are a people of transfiguration, finding reason to hope in the most difficult hour, bringing transfiguration, bringing God's transformation to our world. That is the Christian vocation. This is true on the macro scale. Tutu and his colleagues made huge changes in their country and in our world. But it can also be true on a smaller scale, more down to home. I've been watching a smaller transfiguration take place the past few months right here on our church campus. When I came to Holy Communion for my final in-person interview to be a rector, I got my first tour of the house that we own right behind the parish hall on Gannon Street. I knew Holy Communion had a house because our friend John Stratton, the rector of Trinity in the Central West End, had been saying to me, knowing I was applying to be the rector here, it's a great little house. You and Eli could live there. Eli, my husband, who also goes by Ellis, he wasn't in the interview. And the vestry assured me that they were not planning for the rector's family to live in the house. He'd just heard John Stratton's encouragement he, didn't, he did join us for the tour of the house. We walked through the dark little halls. We saw mold forming in the corners up high. We tripped a bit on the carpets that were deteriorating. We saw a kitchen that was absolutely top technology for 1958. <laughs> As I said, Ellis didn't hear the vestry assure me that they didn't want the rector to live in the place. After the tour, we found ourselves with a moment alone on the porch. He turned to me and said, Ah, oh, heck no. <laughs> Except he didn't say heck. <laughs> I told him not to worry. Over the last months, this dark little house has been undergoing transfiguration. 
Kara Cummins, Susan Norris, your junior warden, Andy Ludwig, Earl Bonds, and the whole building committee, and too many volunteers to mention by name, they have torn out that kitchen. They've peeled wallpaper, scrubbed, hauled, and painted. I'll never forget the day that Kara sent me a picture of the beautiful hardwood floors that were hiding under that worn out carpet. No situation is untransfigurable. In just a few months, that house will be a home. We're hopefully going to be signing in just a couple weeks an agreement with a nonprofit that will house someone in need of a home in that space. And I will be proud to offer that place. As Susan, our junior warden, has said many times, the rule of thumb for decisions and work at the house has been, would I want to live here? The home will be beautiful and comfortable and a gift to the person who moves in. Now, Kara and Susan and the building committee will rest easier if I say this. Our little transfiguration is still a work in progress. If you'd like to be a part of the transfiguration, come on down. We have detail painting, cabinet hanging, and other tasks ahead. The building committee would be happy to sign you up to help, and it will be good for your soul. Our house has become an icon for me, of God's power to transfigure a dark and difficult place. When you begin to hold this strange story this way, you begin to see the possibility for the principle of transfiguration at work in our world. Today's odd story has a deep truth to teach us. No situation is untransfigurable. God brings hope and beauty and love to the most painful times. God invites us to be a people of transfiguration, to bring healing and hope and love to the most unlikely people, the most unlikely situations. This story, it is good news. Amen.